Dear Heavenly Father God, I do thank you for this day. God, I thank you for uh, the people who have come out, uh, God, just to learn about you, to learn about your heart. God, I ask that you would be with the, the Murphys as they're traveling and with uh, Sandy as she's traveling with them. And uh, Lord, that you just uh, protect them and at the same time be here in this service. God, uh, we just want to hear your heart today, and we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you would, open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, while you're doing that, I will just, uh, I'll kind of share with you. Last week, I was really, really touched by Scott's opening questions, right? His opening question is like, what would you do if you knew you only had two weeks to live? What an amazing question. I never really think about that, right? But uh, as he talks about it, it got me to thinking, because we all know the correct answer, and if you don't, then, you know, listen to last week's teaching. The correct answer is, I would change absolutely nothing, right? That's the correct answer. But the sad, stark reality is, as I was examining my own life, there are lots of things that I would change if I found out that I only had two weeks to live. Uh, If I had two weeks to live, uh, I would show up places a little bit differently. Because right now I show up to work and I go like, you know, how can I be, uh, how can I be inspiring? But how can I entertain people? What's the next joke I can get in? How How do I work all this stuff out so I can be funny and people will like me, right? If I found out that I only had two weeks to live, that idea changes significantly, and it should, because the, the idea that we're supposed to have is like, how can I point people to Christ? And it becomes not, not anymore about me and, and uh, how, how do I make people like me, but how do I get people to him? How do I point people to Christ? And so I show up just a little bit differently. And then maybe after work when I come home, even though I'm dog tired and, and I hurt because I've been on my feet all day and, and all I really want to do is just sit in my recliner and watch TV for in the next uh, you know, three hours until I go to bed. But my wife says, I'd really like to go for a walk. What do I do now if I know that I've only got two weeks to live? I was like, well... I'm, I'm getting up off the couch, and I'm going for a walk with my wife. What do I do when my kids ask me, hey, Dad, would you come play this board game with us? And honestly, and they're right here, and so I'm, I, sometimes playing board games with my kids is extremely difficult, and I find myself getting really, really upset, right? But if it's something that they want to do, and I know that I've only got two weeks to live my answer changes. And I say, yeah, I'm going to play this board game with you. If I found out that I only had two weeks to live, am I really going to spend most of my time uh, watching Facebook videos, YouTube videos, watching TV, streaming services? Or am I going to focus my time with Christ? Am I going to get into the Word it's you and me, God. It's you and me, right? Always has been, right? And, and, and I want to make sure that we're doing stuff the right way. So those things really touched me. And I was like, it really caused me to change uh, just how I view things. How, uh, while it seems elementary to say, just to live your life as if you only had two weeks to live, right? And this is where we find Paul right now. Paul uh, is in prison, and, you know, this, uh, the Timothy, book of Second Timothy is the last known epistle that uh, he has written. And we're pretty sure that he might know, he might know that he's facing death right at this moment. And yet he still finds time to write this epistle. He still finds time to point Timothy to Christ, to encourage Timothy in his walk, and, and to encourage Timothy to show others how to walk. So with that in mind, We read verse 1. You, 
Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. This is one of 25 times that Paul encourages Timothy to be strong. Now, if you're saying, uh, Timothy, be strong 25 times, there's probably a good chance that we can, uh, that we can recognize that Timothy uh, may have not have been strong and needed that encouragement, right? Uh, he's definitely probably not as, as bold as Paul would be, uh, Paul being a very bold person. Timothy's probably seeing everything that's been happening to Paul, Paul being uh, beaten and being thrown in prison for the things that he says. Uh, honestly, if I were to see something like that and then say, now you do the same thing, I would be uh, probably a little timid myself. But here Paul encourages Timothy to be strong. Perhaps Timothy had a weak stomach because Paul also says, uh, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. So he may have just had uh, some, I don't know, maybe it was nerves. I I don't know, but he uh, had a stomach issue. Uh, But overall, Timothy may have been just a little afraid. And so Paul encourages him to be strong. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And so when when we hear that Paul is, is uh, encouraging Timothy to be strong and to be bold, it also encourages somebody like me, somebody who doesn't get to do this all the time. And so like when, when it's like, oh, Scott's going to be gone now, I, I got to prepare something and it's, I don't, I don't know, am I going to say something? Am I going to look like an idiot? Am I going to, what's going to happen? God has not given me a spirit of fear, but that of a, of a sound mind. And, and here's the thing. I've already told you that one of my primary goals in everyday life is to play the part of a fool, right? To play the part who's always jesting, who's always joking. And so uh, trying to wrap my head around uh, how to live a little bit differently. I am known as foolish, right? But here's the, here's the encouraging part, is that God loves to use the foolish to confound the wise, Right? So even if I'm foolish, God loves to use the foolish just to, just to throw the wise off their game a little bit. Right? And so when God can use somebody like me, I know, I know that it's not going to be me that gets the glory. It's got to be God because I say some stupid things sometimes. And I guarantee you I will say stupid things today on this stage, but it's all okay because God uses the foolish to confound the wise, and I am so encouraged by that. God gets the glory. He encourages Timothy to be strong, but he doesn't encourage Timothy to be strong uh, in words. He doesn't encourage him to be strong in intelligence. He doesn't even encourage him to be strong in muscle. I I can't sit up here and and claim that I am uh, extremely intelligent, that I am smart. There are many of you guys that I have conversations with that I can't keep up with because I'm just not that smart. And I will say, I don't understand what you just said. I just don't get it. So I cannot lean into the strength of my own intelligence. Uh, I cannot lean into the strength of my own talents. Uh, I can recognize that I have a talent to to sing. And there's a time when I kind of go, if I could just sing the best that I can, that will draw people to Christ. And I I would love to do that. I just, I want to do that. But that is not the strength that we're leaning to. Because the strength that we're leaning to is the strength in the grace of Christ Jesus. The, the, the grace that he has for us. It's not, it's not about the talents. It's, it's about him. If I sing, and I sing well, it's not necessarily going to draw all people unto him. Christ said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. It's not my job to draw you unto him. It's my job to point you to him and let him draw you unto him. So, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, this is a prayer that I pray often. Uh, Lord, I trust that even if what I say makes absolutely no sense, that you can take the words from my mouth and transform them to be understood so that your word is heard and not mine. This is a prayer that I have every time I have to do one of these things. Every time that I stand up here and speak to you because uh, 
a lot of times the things that I say don't even make sense to me. So I just hope that I, I, I put my trust in the Lord that he will bring to you understanding and not me. Verse 2, and, all the, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy, take what I say and teach it to other people. Now, this is a little bit of a conundrum in our society because in school, we learn that if you, if you copy off your neighbor, that's a bad thing, right? If you uh, are, uh, work for the newspaper and you write articles, or if you're an author and you write books and you write the same thing that somebody else has already written, it's called plagiarism and it is a criminal offense that is punishable, right? But in the ministry it's not only thought of as well, but it's encouraged, right? It is encouraged that we take what we hear and we repeat those things. That's what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do, is to repeat the things that are coming. Now, let me share with you a secret. These things that I say right now are not from me, right? These things, I, I've taken uh, a week or two to study other pastors, to study even Scott. So the, to say that uh, the very thing that I am saying at this moment comes from a man whose name is John Corson, who is a pastor out west. Come, uh, the, the fact that we can repeat things that other people say, that's not even an original statement. That's a statement from John Corson and our very own Scott Murphy. If you ask Scott Murphy like how he comes up with his teachings, he'll probably tell you, you know what, Damien Kyle, uh, that's where I get my stuff is Damien Kyle. I, I tend to say a lot of the Damien Kyle stuff. He's a huge fan of Damien Kyle. Yeah, and, and it's okay. It's okay that we don't have to hear the uh, insights of a Drew because the insights of a Drew don't really mean much. But if I can give you the insights of a Paul, then we're talking about something because Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Paul's inspired by God, whose insight is the only one worth listening to. And he says to uh, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What, what's that mean? Faithful men. I look in this room today and most of the people who are here most of the people here are, are here because they want to be. It's not because they're here because uh, they're grandpa and grandma used to come, and now it's just tradition. It's you guys are here because you want to be. Maybe there's some uh, kids here who are here because their parents are here. Maybe that's, maybe that's the case, but here's the deal. You're here because you want to be. What does that make you? Faithful. And my job, Scott's job, Larry's job, is to equip you to go out into your own little circle of influences because you guys can reach different people that Scott can. You guys can reach different people than I can. And you just take the words that we give you and say, hey, take them out. That's what we're here for is to equip you to do those things. So you, therefore, verse three, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Interesting thing, people who join the military must leave the life that they once knew. Anybody here uh, join the military? A, couple, a few of us. Uh, these guys are probably going to approach me and tell me that I'm, that I'm wrong if I'm wrong, right? But when you join the military... You don't really take the things that you want with you, right? Uh, nobody's taking their motorcycle with them to the army. Uh, nobody's taking, uh, if now, I, I don't know if you can take, uh, you know, video games or Xboxes. Those things you don't, you don't take with you. you. You leave the things behind. And the army uh, or the military equips you with the things that you're going to need for your duration there, right? And it's the same way in a, in a Christian walk, we leave behind things that maybe we are used to, maybe we're comfortable with. Uh, we leave those things behind and allow God to equip us with the things that we need to be good soldiers of the army of God, all right? So we leave them. Uh, people who join the military have an understanding of authority. 
right? There's an authority structure set in place. There's an authority structure set in our very homes. Uh, there's an authority structure set in place in this local church. And there's an authority structure, even if you go to uh, like the big broad Calvary Chapel, there is a little bit of an authority structure. Uh, because I don't know uh, authority structure in the military very well, uh, I did two things. I looked on the internet because I know that I can trust everything I read on the internet. And, and then I, I spoke to, uh, I also spoke to Mike Turner, uh, who is one of those people who I said is super intelligent. And uh, sometimes I have a hard time keeping up with because I'm just not as smart as he is. But uh, I looked at this list of just people in the Navy and the, the ranks that there are. And there are way more than what I thought there was. I thought there was like five, right? It turns out that there's like literal pages of ranks. And, and so like, it just showed me even more that, uh, oh yeah, everybody falls under authority to somebody. Uh, just to give you just a few, because I don't have time to read this entire list. Uh, if you come in in the Navy, you're coming in as most likely a seaman recruit. Uh, they're under authority to the seaman apprentice, under authority to the seaman, uh, under authority to the petty officer, third class, second class, first class. And this, and this whole thing goes all the way, uh, let's see, uh, chief warrant officer, lieutenant, captain, all the way to something called the fleet admiral, right? So I call, I call on Mike, and I say, Mike, who does the fleet admiral answer to? And his response blew me away. He says, oh, there's not really a such thing as a fleet admiral anymore. <laughs> I was like, what? How does that even happen? And then he gave me this long story about, uh, it wasn't that long we were on the phone, but uh, he gave me this story about Eisenhower and, you know, whatever. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know. But here's the point. The point is, even, even, a fleet admiral has to answer to somebody. And in our country, you know, generally it's the president is, is like the top authority figure, right? But even the president has to answer to somebody, right? The president, if we're really to think about this, honestly, God is the ultimate authority, you know? And so as a person who joins into the army of God, we have to understand that there is an authority structure in place, and it's for a good, it's for good reason. Um, and of course, he says to, uh, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Essentially, you just want to please the commander, <laughs> really. Uh, when we walk our Christian life, we want to please the commander. Verse 5, also, uh, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Does anybody here play sports? Nobody here plays any kind of sport? That's incredible. You know, I, I bet we have. I bet we have. We just don't realize it. What, what might be one sport that all of us have had uh, our hand into? Um, bowling. Bowling. How, how many here has bowled before? Okay. Almost everybody has bowled before. What is the point of bowling? What, is it, what, like, what are we trying to do? We're trying to knock down those pins. We're trying to score the highest that we can, right? And so you got your ball in your hand. You're ready. And, and you, know, it, you might not be, if you're like me, you're trying to avoid the gutter, right? And, and you step up and you, you launch your ball down the, the alley there and you watch it go and it, it hits the middle pin. And then all these pins just kind of crash and maybe you've got the seven that's just doing this little wobble and you're watching it. And then it finally just like, falls over and you've got a strike baby and then you look down and your foot has crossed that line does anybody know what that means when your foot crosses the line scratch the foul guess what that strike means absolutely nothing it doesn't mean anything you've lost those points now you don't you don't get them back you've you've fouled out you don't have those things. So you've got you to compete according to the rules in order to get those points in the same way. In the same way, we don't win people to Christ by deception, by trickery. We don't win people to Christ by like, gimmicks and stuff. We don't even win people to Christ. We point people to Christ and let him gain those points. So act like an athlete, uh, go by the rules, right? And then verse six, hardworking, a hardworking farmer must be the first to partake of the crops. You know, sometimes 
Christian life, and Paul's experiencing this, it is a hard work. Paul's experiencing hard work right now. Christian life isn't always pie in the sky until you die. Uh, like farming, sometimes even getting into the Word can be challenging. Uh, again, if we're tired, sometimes uh, just reading the Word is just, ugh, I, don't, I don't understand what it is I'm reading, and man, I really, I can't, I'm barely open my eyes right now. It's hard work, right? But if you have the discipline of a farmer, a farmer who gets up super early in the morning to, to plow his field or to do whatever farmers do early in the morning and then work super late, they're super disciplined, right? And then they're also patient because you can plant the seeds, but you're not going to plant the seeds and then turn around and pick up the fruit that you just planted, right? You're not going to turn around and pick up the corn that you just planted. You got to be patient, and you got to let the sun work. you got to let the water work. you gotta, you got to give it its time. So, and, but all the time, you're still being disciplined to get up and work the field and do it. Even though you don't see it right away, it's, it's still, it, it's coming. And you know it's coming. And then there's that day that the fruit is there and it's ready for harvest. Now, how many, how many people here have a garden, Right? I know that there's some people, uh, the Stapletons, sometimes they'll bring in, in the season, they'll bring in cucumbers and they'll bring in peppers and we have all these things in the back. Uh, I, I'll bet, I'll bet that when they picked those things uh, that they, they, didn't, um, they didn't not take any for themselves, right? I'll, I'll bet there's like, I need a cucumber, right? And, and we'll put these back here because we just have an abundance of cucumbers, right? Um, the same with the, the word. We cannot give people spiritual food until we have partaken of it ourselves. When we have taken in the Word, when we have chewed on the Word, when we have swallowed the Word and we can understand it, then we can also give the Word to somebody else. That is spiritual food. So be like a farmer. Be disciplined. And remember to take the first fruits. So, Verse 7, consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Now, we here at Cornerstone, we have a tendency to do this every single week. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and in this case, even word by word. We're going to take a look at this word, consider. To consider means to dwell upon, means to meditate on, means to uh, just chew on the Bible, right? In this context, we're just considering every single word that we read. Uh, To consider what is said is to slow down. It is to examine the scriptures and to gain a better understanding. Look at at, uh, Psalm 1 verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and his law And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. We consider these words. We delight in these words. And whatever we do shall prosper. The Bible is a path to intimacy with God. If you're finding yourself not feeling as intimate with the Lord as you think you should be, then consider the Bible. Get into his word and meditate it. Don't just make it be a thing you check mark off. I've read my chapter. We've got, we've got these things in the back that are, uh, you know, read the Bible in a year. And, you know, they have boxes you could check off. And it's very easy just to go, this is what it says to read today. I'm reading today. Check mark and let's go but we're called to consider. And even though we have these things, reading the Bible in the year, and, and Scott is a big advocate to read the Bible in the year, it's better if we take a little bit longer if we're considering the things that we're reading. I encourage people to read the Bible every day. I would encourage myself to do the same, but not just to read it as something to check mark, but consider what it is that we're reading. And in that way, we can have... Uh, We can let the Lord give us a better understanding in all things. Verse 8, 
Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Now, at this time, Paul is facing his death. But rather than saying, Timothy, remember all those things that I've done. Remember the situation that I'm in right now. Remember, re- remember, uh, remember the, the struggle that I had. Paul doesn't say any of those things. Paul says, remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Even facing death, Paul is still preaching the gospel. And that is something we should do. There's, uh, there's kind of a, a saying that people use and misuse a lot. Uh, and you know what? I'm going to use myself just as a, a little bit of an example. I've got something called Factor Five Leidens. And what that is, is just a, it's a blood clotting uh, disorder, right? Uh, my blood clots a, a little bit easier. We have to kind of watch things. And uh, in 2016, uh, it kind of reared its head, and, and I found myself in the hospital a couple of different times. And, and uh, you know, I could take what my, I don't know, condition is. I said, well, you know what? This is just, that's my cross to bear. That's, that's what I have to do. This is my cross to bear. You know, uh, people use that term uh, a lot. You know, uh, you know my, my, my wife left me and I've got these kids that I'm taking care of, but it's okay. That's just, that's my cross to bear. You know, man, work's been really difficult, but this is where God's got me. So I guess this is just my cross to bear. <laughs> you know, this is going to sound a little harsh. Sickness, divorce, tribulation is not our cross to bear. It is just life. It is just life. And I lost my place. (laughs) I've got this here. It's neither should we ever say, remember this, but always remember Christ. It is just life that we go through these things. Trials and tribulations fall on the just and the unjust alike. So it's not my cross to bear. It is just life. And it's what we do with that when we remain strong in the grace of Christ. So even when you're going through those things, remember to point people to Christ, point people to the gospel. Verse 9, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Even while Paul is in prison, he is still writing his epistles. The word continues to move. No matter where you are in life, no matter uh, if things are difficult, The word continues to move. The word continues to go forth. And when you remember Jesus, and when you act like a soldier falling under the authority of your commander, when you act like a farmer who is diligent to do the work and patient to do the work, who continually sows the seeds and remains strong in the grace, the word will abound. Now, the Bible has been attacked more than any other book in history. It's been burned, it's been banned, it's been mocked, it's been twisted, and it's been ignored. But the Word of God still stands forever. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God stands forever. Verse 10. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, people tend to get caught up in certain words, and in this case, that word would be the elect. And, and I, I just want to encourage you, don't get so caught up in this word elect, because we already know that God has a desire for all to be saved. If we remember back to last week, 1 Timothy uh, 2, 3 through 4, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. And in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come unto me, 
all you who labor and are weary, and I will give you rest. So, who then are the elect? I think it's pretty simple. It's the ones who elect Christ Jesus to be their Savior. It's the ones who elect to act as a soldier, to act as an athlete, to act as a farmer. It's those who elect. That. So, so let's not get so caught up on that word. And here it would be just as easy for Paul to say, I endure all things for the love of Christ. He could say that, but he is emphasizing the fact that he endures all things for the love of God's people. So let's remember that. Verse 11. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. To die with him is to die to ourselves. Um, it's not, as we said before, it's, it's not uh, to bear our cross, quotes. It's not, it's, it's not um, to bear un- things. It's just to die to ourselves. What does this mean? This means what I was influenced by last week. What it means is that when you are tired, when you are hurting, and when your wife says, would you go on a walk with me? It's to change my choice from sitting on the couch to going on a walk, right? Why? Because it benefits her, one of God's people. When my kids say, dad, come play basketball with me, which I, I really love, but as I get older, it, it hurts a lot more to, to play basketball. Even then, uh, make an effort to go and play ball. Um, so, and then time with Christ as well. Super important to make that choice to spend time with Christ rather than time with, I don't know, the cake boss. So that's who I've been watching lately. Uh, Verse 12, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Now, does this mean that if we falter and we have moments of weakness, or if we start questioning our own faith, that he will deny us? Absolutely not. Let's remember Peter. Peter who denied Christ three times only to have Christ come back and, and seek out Peter specifically to go, do you love me? <laughs> feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Even though Peter denied him, he didn't give up on him. So if we have those moments of weakness, he doesn't, he doesn't deny us when we have those moments of weakness. To deny him means to utterly reject him until the point of death. We say, I want nothing to do with this. I, I, don't want, I, don't, I don't want you. I don't want you to the point of death. That is denying him, and that is when he would deny us. Verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. When our faith is shaken, he holds fast. He cannot deny himself, which means that he has to be who he is. And who he is, is faithful. He is a loving father. He is, as we sang before, a way maker, a miracle worker. These are things that he cannot deny because it's just part of who he is. So even when we mess up, he doesn't deny himself. He's still a gracious, loving father. A loving father whose grace outweighs our mistakes and our sins. 14. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about word to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Oftentimes, when talking about the Bible, or Jesus, people will try to catch us off guard by talking about things that really don't matter all that much. Uh, people will try to catch us off guard by talking about things like uh, pre-tribulation versus mid-tribulation. Um, maybe they'll say, oh, here's a good one. Uh, there are so many contradictions in the Bible. Uh, people who say that have probably never actually considered what they're reading in the first place. Uh, oh, 
Jesus never really spoke about this specific present cultural agenda. Uh, None of those things, none of those things are the point. What's the point? The point is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the point. Anything else, anything else, just doesn't really matter that much. So when somebody tries to get, go off guard, somebody tries to go, uh, well, let's talk about pre-trib or mid-trib. Let's, let's talk about the fact that God gave his only son. This is rightly dividing. What is rightly dividing? To rightly divide comes from a, a Greek word called ortho, orthotomeo, orthotomeo, however you pronounce it. But that word means to cut straight. And usually that would be implied with, uh, like, say, a road. We're just going to make a road, and it's going to be a straight road. Or if a farmer farms, he's going he's to plow a, a, a straight line. And in this word, we're cutting straight to the point. That's the context here. We're not going to be worried about what this person says or what this person says. We're getting to the heart of God. We're cutting straight to the point that God gave his only son, that whosoever would believe on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 16, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And we'll just keep going. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Now these guys, these two guys, they, they already claimed that the rapture had already happened. And in turn, they were driving people away from the truth. And, and, and we will come across people who uh, might give their own take on the Bible, who might uh, maybe twist some things up that weren't uh, intended to be twisted up. And, and it's for this reason that we need to get into the Word. It's for this reason that we need to consider what we read uh, more so than what we might just hear somebody talking because what somebody says uh, may not be the heart of God. And I would challenge you, I would challenge you to even hold Scott accountable, hold me accountable to the things that we say. Uh, get into the word for yourself. And if you have questions and be like, well, uh, you said this, but uh, when I read the word, it, I, I, I tend to read it like this. And, and, and Scott is super cool about people coming to him with those kind of things. He's super cool about like, hey, when I read this, this is the way I take it. Am I taking it wrong? And he will either say, you know what? I will examine that some more. I will consider that some more. Or he will be, he'll just say, you know what, this is how I take it, and this is the reason. And he'll, and he'll use Scripture to interpret Scripture, and, and, and that's, when you, that's when you have a better idea of who you can kind of trust. But don't ever trust somebody just blindly. Get into the Word yourself. Consider the Word yourself. Uh, we have these times when we get together uh, after worship. We have times when we get together, and Scott encourages us to find somebody we can pray for uh, because idle babblings lead to un ungodliness. Now, I, I know that it's really, really uh, tempting to, when we meet together, to talk about, uh, you know, last night's football game, uh, to talk about, you know, uh, what Susie Q did down the street, you know, on Saturday, or uh, what did you do over the weekend, or anything. These things, uh, and, and, and while they're not necessarily bad, I would encourage that we, that we reformat our conversations to go straight to the point, to go straight to God. What did God do for you this weekend? How's God worked in your life in the past week? How can I pray for you? That's what this is intended for. That's what the time of fellowship is intended for, is to go and, and find somebody and talk about the Lord. Because anything else just kind of leads to more ungodliness. Verse 17, and their message will spread like cancer. Oh, I, we already read that. I'm sorry. Verse 19, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Here he's quoting Numbers 16. And he says to run away from those like Hymenaeus and Philetus and anyone else who causes divisions. If you feel, 
if you talk to somebody, even in this church, and it doesn't happen in this church um, often, it has. I will, I'll say this, it has. We have had people who uh, maybe go, hey, are you sure uh, that what Scott's saying is real deal? Because uh, this is the way I do it, right? It's kind of done off to the side. It's kind of done. We've had, we've had those in the past. Uh, we don't have that right now, right? We don't yeah, whatever. We don't, we, don't, we don't have to worry about that right now. But if you feel like that there's somebody who's just trying to cause division in the church, it is best to run away from those people. It is best to avoid those people, all right? Because we don't, we don't need to cause division. We're, uh, our, our country is divided enough as it is. Our church is divided enough. Our big C church is divided enough as it is. We need to practice that unity. So if somebody, if we recognize somebody's trying to cause division, our job is to run away and avoid those things. And, and God will take care of them. God will take care of them. Verse 20. But in a house... In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Yes, on the earth and even in church, there are those who honor God, those who God uses and, uh, and then there are those that are not as honoring to God. You know, my, uh, my mother-in-law has this huge hutch in her dining room. Uh, it's, it's a, I mean, it's, it's bigger than this, I'd say, and it's got glass windows, and, and inside of it, you can see all these, like, dinnerware and uh, glasses and bowls, and these are really nice things. Matter of fact, uh, she has things that I didn't even know were a part of, like, dinner, uh, dinner setup. She has these things, they're, they're like, uh, they're called chargers, right? And basically, if you don't know what a charger is, because I didn't know what a charger was, uh, a charger is basically a plate for your plate. And, and I don't understand the reason for that. I don't get it, uh, but it, I, it looks pretty. You know, it just, you know, set a plate on this like gold bigger plate. Uh, it, it, it looks fine. She also has like gold plated silverware and uh, she's all these things are really, it's really nice. And when company comes over, she can get into it and, and put that out and make her table look really nice. And everybody can come in and go, oh, this is the, a beautiful setup. And then even when it's not, it's still in this hutch and she can still show it off and it still looks really great. Do you know what my mother-in-law does not have? She does not have a decorative toilet in her living room. I don't, why? Because the things in her china hutch are honorable. They're good. A toilet is not necessarily honorable. She hides that away, like in a back room, right? Uh, it's, uh, and if you're lucky enough to have a bathroom that also has a, a wall that covers that up too, uh, I don't know if you said, it's like, it's like an own little room for the toilet within the bathroom. Those, that's how dishonorable those things are, right? They're, they're dirty and, you know, it's almost embarrassing to look at. You know, like somebody says it's embarrassing. But an interesting thing is happening lately, and I don't know if you guys have caught this, and we are in rural America, and I'm sure if you go further south into the Alabama area, you'd probably maybe see this a little bit more. This is an interesting thing. People are putting their toilets in their front yard and using them as planters. Now, okay, so now there's a, a bunch of daffodils growing out of the bowl of a toilet. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't get it, but... These toilets have been cleaned, right? They're, they're not going to put, I hope they're not putting dirty toilets out in their front yard. Uh, and they're, they're cleaned and, and it's like, look at this. It's a, it's a pretty neat thing, I guess. I, I, don't, I don't get it, but it's happening. And, and, you know, look around sometimes. You'll find them. You'll find them. So if, <laughs> this is so stupid. Uh, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, the dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 
flee youthful lusts. What does this mean? Does this mean that um, only people who are under the age of 25 should flee lusts? Right? So there's a lot of people here who are under the age of 25. Uh, we can flee those youthful lusts, right? But here's the deal. It doesn't mean just the people under 25. It doesn't mean young people only because everybody is subject to temptation of youthful lusts. So people in their 50s, people in their 70s, people in their 103s have a temptation to these youthful lusts and we are to flee them. And we see this just as we did last week, this this uh, this vocabulary of to pursue, uh, to pursue the righteousness. We are no longer chasing these things, but we're pursuing these things. We're running after these things to uh, run from uh, the youthful us and chase the latter. I think Paul, I think Paul was kind of like in his day, a big fan of athletics. <laughs> I think that's why he says he's comparing people to athletes. That's why he's using the terms run a lot because uh, that's what we're to do, to pursue those things. But he doesn't just say just to pursue them. He says to uh, pursue them with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. This tells me that we were not meant to do this alone. The importance of church is... Um, well, let me put it like this. So I told you that I called Mike Turner, and Mike Turner had uh, some incredible insights when I was asking him about what it means to join the military, and uh, if you're in the military, do you choose to please your commander? And when I, when I asked him that, he said, well, that's a little, little bit of a stretch, because when you're in the battlefield, you're not thinking about your commander at that moment in time. You, you're not even really thinking about your family at that moment in time. When you're in the battlefield, your, can, your main concern is that person to your left, that person to your right, and protecting those people right then, right there. And this is the importance of church, friends, is that we can get together with the people on our left and our right what can I pray for you about? How can I intercede for you? How can we uh, work together to move forward the gospel, right? Church is important because of our brothers and sisters. We are encouraged to get together, to teach one another, to equip one another, to intercede for one another. When things are down, uh, you're there to help the guy beside you. And there are people in this church who have been down and other people in this church who have come alongside them just to pick them up. I am one of those who have been down and people have had to pick up before. This church does an amazing job with that. An amazing job with that. So much so that oftentimes Scott doesn't even realize that there's a problem in the church because it's already been dealt with. So I just encourage you to keep on doing that. Keep coming alongside your brother. And finally, verse 23. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. You know, God would like for us to do his will, but Satan would also like us to do his will. And it's kind of easy to fall into this camp if you're not paying attention. It's easy to start doing the things that Satan wants you to do. It's easy to start, because it starts out pretty simple. It's easy to start with idle babblings, maybe some gossip, maybe some, you know, just, uh, I don't know, loose lip talk. Maybe uh, it's laziness. That's, that's, that's my struggle, laziness. Maybe it's just being addicted to entertainment, right? But those things tend to grow, right? And eventually you're just, maybe you're not even paying attention to the things of the Lord, which is the devil's will, right? That's why we uh, avoid, it's that idle babble, avoid the foolish and ignorant disputes, avoid the, the things that don't matter much, cut straight to the point, uh, because the things that don't matter much often just generate strife. Now, there are people who uh, kind of follow politics around, you know, there are people 
uh, in this room who would follow politics and they spend their time watching, you know, CNN or Fox News and the more they watch them, the, the more outrage they get and the, the more like, oh, can, can, can you believe this? Oh, this is, and then and it turns into having nothing to do with the Lord, but everything to do with just like this political view and, and it's like, we're putting aside those things, avoid those things because all they do is generate strife. And we mustn't quarrel, but be gentle, be patient. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I have a hard time with not getting angry. If somebody approaches me with something that they don't agree with, uh, it stirs me up a little bit. And when I get stirred up, this has happened a few months ago, actually. Somebody, somebody just approached me, and it, it got me riled. I was, I was fuming, but that's when I had to walk away, right? I have to walk away from those things. Because I, while while uh, I don't want to cause strife, right? I'm not going to sit there and argue with somebody. I'm going to walk away because I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be part of, of things that may not matter because my focus it's for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the point of the matter. That's where we're pointing to. We're pointing to Jesus Christ. And in doing so, in doing so, in avoiding those things, perhaps God will grant them repentance that they would know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive to do his will. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word, your word which encourages us to be strong, not in ourselves, but in, in your grace. Your word which encourages us to always point to you and always get straight to the point of your grace, of your love. God, forgive us when we veer off to the side and when we fall into uh, the temptations of idle babbling. Lord, the whole reason we're in this is to glorify you, is to have a deeper connection with you, to be more intimate with you. So help us when we falter. God, we thank you for your grace. And it's in Jesus' awesome name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have an awesome, awesome week.